DiscerningHearts.com presents Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. Dr. Lillis is an associate professor and the academic dean of St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, California, as well as the academic advisor for the St. Juan Diego House of Priestly Formation for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles. Through the years, clergy, seminarians, religious, and lay faithful have benefited from his lectures and retreat conferences on the Carmelite Doctors of the Church and the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. He's the author of several books, including Hidden Mountain Secret Garden, A Theological Contemplation of Prayer. In this series of conversations with Dr. Lillis, we reflect on the writings of St. Elizabeth of the Trinity. Her retreat, Heaven and Faith, is the source of our current reflection. Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Anthony, thank you so much for joining us once again. Well, thank you. I am uh, enjoying our series together, and it's helping me enter more deeply into Elizabeth's message. And I hope our listeners are also entering deep into this journey with us, too. There is something interesting from our previous discussions and on the fourth day that Elizabeth of the Trinity reminds us that we must be calmly lost in God's will. I think the key word there, calmly, uh, because for many of us, when we get lost, especially in that interiority of prayer, to be lost to God's will, it would send us into a panic. Yeah, uh, that's an interesting theme that you've picked up on, but it's another way of talking about trust. In the movement of faith, what faith really is, is you you have a glimpse of what, uh, in general, God is doing but you don't really know specifically what it is. You have to trust him to be working things out in your life. And when we're lost in God's will, we're seeking to obey his will for us in the day-to-day struggles of our life. But sometimes in our struggle to be obedient to his love and our struggle to live by love, it doesn't make sense to us. Everything that we've tried to do everything that's most important to us, everything that is the priority of our heart seems turned upside down. And what we thought we understood, we no longer understand. And those confusing dark nights of our lives, those moments where nothing seems to make sense anymore, those are especially blessed times where our trust is being tested, where we're being tried, where our Our love is being deepened where we're becoming more vulnerable to God. And so that uh, emphasis on calmness is actually a a little bit of an admonishment to us about not being anxious as we struggle to serve and love the Lord with our whole hearts. Things are going to happen. Disappointments are going to be encountered. Great trials are going to overwhelm us from time to time. When those things happen, we shouldn't really be surprised. This is something the Lord has allowed for us in his will, and uh, we feel lost in it. We're not sure where it's going or where it's leading to, but if we trust him, if we calmly trust him, it gives him space to act. It allows him to be in control, and uh, it disposes us 
to recognize what he's doing in different situations. When we're not calm, when we're, when we're anxious or fearful or fretting, all in an emotional upheaval driven by anger or whatever else might be driving us. When we don't have good self-control, we don't really get to see what God's doing. We can't cooperate with it in the moment. But if, if we do remain calm, even though we don't understand what he's doing, we can see what he's doing enough to cooperate with it in the moment. And so, so that, what a beautiful thing to concentrate on, calmly lost in God's will. And in this fifth day, what he's going to do, what Elizabeth is going to do, is she's going to actually show us how we can be calmly lost in God's will. What do we need to do to open ourselves up to this kind of peacefulness of soul? What does it mean to recognize Jesus's coming? And so she's going to, in the, the first prayer, talk to us about how Jesus comes to us. And in the second prayer, she's going to talk to us about the gift of the Eucharist. And so this fifth day is a very, very beautiful day. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man listens to my voice and opens the door to me, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Blessed the ears of the soul, alert enough, recollected enough to hear this voice of the word of God. Blessed also the eyes of the soul, which in the light of a deep and living faith can witness the coming of the Master into his intimate sanctuary. But what then is this coming? It is an unceasing generation, an enduring hymn of praise. Christ comes with his treasures, but such is the mystery of the divine swiftness that he is continually coming, always for the first time, as if he had never come. For his coming, independent of time, consists of an eternal now, and an eternal desire eternally renews the joys of the coming. The delights that he brings are infinite since they are himself. The capacity of the soul, enlarged by the coming of the Master, seems to go out of itself in order to pass through the walls into the immensity of Him who comes. And a phenomenon occurs. God, who is in our depths, receives God coming to us, and God contemplates God. God in whom beatitude consists. This first prayer just draws us right into the deepest truths of our faith. The Christian faith is rooted in a communion of persons. It's rooted in the Holy Trinity. From all eternity, the Father contemplates the Son, and the Son contemplates the Father. And they contemplate each other in such love that that love is personified, the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
That's the life of the Trinity. It's a life of contemplation and love. What Elizabeth of the Trinity is saying here is that this life of the Holy Trinity, uh, the life out of which the whole world was created and towards which the whole world is headed, this life is something that we can experience now when we open up the doors of our heart to Jesus. It's a decision we can make right here and right now. And so we've begun our reflection today about being calmly lost in the will of God. And in many ways, this fifth day, the way to be calmly lost in the will of God is to welcome Jesus into your heart, to say yes to all the different ways he comes to us. And when we eagerly await him, when we're vigilant for him, when we open up our hearts to him, when uh, we answer his knocking at the door of our hearts, his transforming presence takes our ordinary human life and raises it into the very life of God. That's what this whole God contemplates God. God comes to God. God who is in our depths receives God who's coming to us in a new way. We grow deeper and deeper. This reflection was so important for Elizabeth of the Trinity. I think in an earlier episode, I may have talked about this, but let me recall a grace that happened for Elizabeth before she went into Carmel. In her time period, the late 19th century, she was born in 1880. Jansenism was a huge deal. And what Jansenism basically says is that God is fundamentally angry with the human person, with culture with society. And because of this fundamental anger towards us, we need to satisfy, to appease his wrath by uh, living a life of severe discipline, rigorous asceticism. If we do that, we might avert his anger. Well, that kind of spirituality is very, very deadly. A lot of people at least unconsciously, live like that. Sometimes when you have a picture of an angry God who's distant from you, you live a very fearful spiritual life, and other people live a very despairing spiritual life. After all, if God's angry with me and there's nothing I can do really to appease him, what's the point? So they don't engage the spiritual life at all. Mm -hmm. so, So this is why the church condemned Jansenism is that it put all the concentration, all the emphasis was on the human effort to appease God. And if it's like that, if we're trying to appease his wrath, satisfy his justice, as human beings, we simply don't have that in us. It drives us either into fear or despair. Well, Elizabeth of the Trinity was hearing that kind of preaching from time to time, and it Mm -hmm. concerned her because when she went to prayer, she did not experience God as somebody distant from her, who was angry with her. Instead, when she turned to prayer, she felt the presence of God. She sensed this immense love, and it it drew her in. It was so dynamic, so it had so much gravity that she didn't want to stop praying. She wanted to rest in the silence of God, even as a teenager. She just felt the need to spend a lot of time in solitude. When she would play piano, people would ask, how come you're so composed when you play piano in front of all those crowds? What are you doing? And she said, I just turn my heart to him. As I turn my heart to him, the music just flows out of me. And so she connected prayer and music 
and intimacy with the Lord. She was experiencing his intimate presence, not as someone distant or angry, but someone who was vitally concerned about her, someone who was drawn to her, and someone to whom she was drawn, whom she never wanted to leave. So she was trying to figure out, because everybody, the priests and other people are saying one thing about God, and she was experiencing something wholly other. So she went to see a spiritual director who was visiting the Carmelite monastery. Her house, in fact, uh, overlooked the Carmelite monastery uh, right in downtown Dijon. And so it would have been a short walk from her house over to the monastery. And in the parlor, there was this famous preacher who was a kind of spiritual director to the community. He was a Dominican. His name was Père Valet. And she said to Father, the Dominican, she said, I have this experience of God dwelling inside me, and I want to know how this can be. Can you explain to me why I feel this? Is, is it legitimate or is it a fantasy? And the Dominican, Père Valet, he said, Do you not know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit? He was quoting St. Paul. He was a student of St. Thomas Aquinas. And St. Thomas Aquinas, in the Summa Theologica, question 43, speaks about the spiritual missions of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God, the Son of God, Uh, He speaks about how the Spirit and the Son come into our hearts in ever new ways through every increase of grace, and how they do this so that we can possess them and enjoy their presence in our lives, and so that we can use their presence in our lives to do great things for the glory of the Father. He's explaining this whole doctrine to her, but he himself reflected, he goes, while I was explaining this doctrine, I could tell she wasn't listening to me, because when I told her that she was a temple of the Holy Spirit, she had fallen into deep ecstasy. She was drawn into the depths of prayer. She was experiencing the truth of the words. She didn't need the explanation, really. His explanation, St. John the Cross would say, it was like stammering on the truths that he was conveying to her The first truth, who is Jesus, was being communicated to her directly in her soul. And all her experience of Jesus in prayer, his intimacy, his love for her, all of that, that fire of that love, was renewed in her in that moment. And she lost all sense of time and or where she was. Ecstasy is a prayer where you get caught up outside yourself. You become aware only of God. And it's a normal experience. People who take time and spend time in prayer sometimes will taste this prayer like after they receive communion. Sometimes they will receive this prayer if they're alone in their room reflecting on a Bible passage. I once had a student. He was studying for the permanent diaconate. He lived up in Wyoming. And on his drive back from Denver to where he lived in Wyoming, it was like 10 hours away. Right in the middle of that, he was thinking about some of the things that we'd studied about in the life of prayer. And he, and he began to think about how much God loves us and how present he is to us. And he told me, he goes, Anthony, I had to pull over and I had to stop the car and I got out. I just felt God's love come over me. And I couldn't tell you if it was five minutes or 30 minutes or an hour. I just was overwhelmed with the love of God pouring over me. This experience that Elizabeth had when she heard Do you not know you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? This experience lives in the passage that she's asking her sister to think about. Behold, 
I stand at the door and knock. If any man listens to my voice and opens the door to me, I will come in to him and sup with him and he with me. Blessed the ears of the soul, alert enough, recollected enough to hear this voice of the word of God. Blessed also the eyes of the soul, which in the light of a deep and living faith can witness the coming of the master into his intimate sanctuary. It's an experience rooted in the theological reality that Jesus is always coming to us in a new way. He has never abandoned us. He never leaves us. He's always new. There's nothing tired and old about the faith. Those who want to live in intimacy with the Lord, they are opened up to the fountain of life, the, the source of everything that is always new in the universe. And that is God, the Word of God, Jesus, the eternal Word of the Father. And He comes to us in the power of the Holy Spirit. And when He comes, He's always fruitful. Isn't that a, a beautiful uh, truth? Oh, it absolutely is. And I'm so glad, Anthony, you brought up that example of your former student who had that experience. Because sometimes I think when we talk about ecstasy or those types of mystical experiences. We think of, of for example, St. Teresa of Avila who would levitate or, or the experiences of Padre Pio. And yet, that entering into that depths of prayer, the experience of God can take many forms. And for just the average pew person like myself, we may feel, oh, that's not for me. Or we might discount that movement by saying, well, I'm not a saint, and that must not be God, that must not have been real. And instead of resting in that, experiencing that, we cut it short because we don't think that could possibly be for us. I think this is what happens I, more often than not. Is I, I think a, a number of people, God lavishes them with beautiful gifts of prayer, but because they haven't been instructed uh, to what this great gift is, or they presumed that those kind of gifts are for someone else besides themselves, they don't thank God for the gift that they've received. They don't enjoy the gift that they've received. And I, I think when we don't enjoy the gifts that God lavishes on us when when we turn our attention away what you do with a gift kind of shows an attitude towards the giver if we're careless mm -hmm. and ungrateful towards the gifts of prayer that we've been given it says something about our attitude towards god and then no wonder we don't make progress in the spiritual life he's lavishing love on us and we cloaked in false humility refuse to say yes to those gifts to those invitations i think that even children have these sorts of gifts of prayer happen to them. I, I think children who've received First Communion will sometimes experience deep moments of prayer and not realize the gift that they've been given. Or, or sometimes a young person uh, walking out in nature in a forest or along a creek that all of a sudden will be caught up in the beauty of God and their soul rests in it and they feel his presence. Well, unless someone has told them that this experience that they've had is a very real experience of God, that it's not just their fantasy, and it's not something to be afraid of or ashamed of, but it's a gift from God, it's a sign of how much God loves us. Unless they've heard that from someone, 
they're apt to not realize the moment of their visitation, the coming of Jesus to them. They're likely not to recognize that the Jesus himself is knocking at the door of their heart. And this is why it's so important today to talk about prayer, to catechize about prayer, especially with our young people, so that they're ready to say yes to the invitation of Jesus who knocks on their heart. And disposition, too, is is key here, isn't it? It's one thing to open the door when he is knocking. It's another thing to say, I want him to come knocking right now. Or to try, maybe a, a better way of saying it is being able to receive the gift that is given freely as opposed to sitting and saying, oh, I wish I had that. I wish it could happen to me. I uh, Do you know where I'm going with this? Oh, yeah. And this this is another terrific problem that I find when we work with prayer today. A lot of people look at prayers, especially experiences in prayer, as like an achievement, something that something that I can produce, something that if I wish hard enough, I can get. Lurking behind that is really this lust for experience that consumes our faith today. And, and it's very, very sad, and it, it really is quite tragic. People can become so occupied about whether I've experienced this or that, that the gift the Lord actually wants to give them, which is always better than the experience they think they want, they deprive themselves of it. Here Jesus is offering them their very heart, and they're worried about whether or not they're in a psychic, peaceful state of some kind or another. This really, this preoccupation with achieving a psychic state or having experiences in prayer or feeling things in prayer or being able to imagine things in prayer, one of of the things that does is it limits prayer to to my own psychological activity. And if prayer is limited to my own psychological activity, I'm never really free of myself. I never really go beyond my psychological operations. I'm imprisoned in my own big fat ego. Elizabeth here is saying prayer doesn't have anything to do with an achievement or a feeling or a psychic state. Prayer is a gift. And all the ways that Jesus can come to you they are totally beyond our comprehension. They're beyond what we can expect. They're beyond what we can imagine. And they're always better than our expectations and our imagination or what we think we ought to feel. When we surrender and we're open to what God wants to do and allow him to come the way he wants, when he wants, we're letting him be the Lord of our prayer. And we enter into the essential quality of giftedness. Christian prayer is characterized by the nature of a gift. It's it's something that's given to God by us, and it's given in terms of an exchange of persons. Ultimately, every experience, if we have experiences in prayer, every experience is another way that God is preparing us to receive the very gift of himself, which is so much better than uh, whether or not I've achieved this or that psychic state or experience, to receive the gift himself of God, to allow ourselves to be caught up in God's delight and having lavished his love upon us. The capacity of the soul, enlarged by the coming of the Master, seems to go out of itself in order to pass through the walls into the immensity of him who comes. And a phenomenon occurs 
God, who is in our depths, receives God coming to us, and God contemplates God. God in whom beatitude consists. That our prayer all of a sudden is free of selfishness. It's free of um, self-preoccupation and this kind of navel-gazing, which can be so very destructive to the spiritual life. The spiritual life isn't about me and what I want and what I hope to experience and what I can achieve. The spiritual life is about what God is accomplishing inside us. It's about opening ourselves to the source of life so that he can accomplish in us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. Mm. Do you have any final thoughts? We talked about the giftedness of prayer. And we talked about how prayer is, and it involves experiences, but experiences, different experiences I have don't exhaust prayer. But uh, there's one other thing she says about this coming of Jesus into our hearts. He, he stands at the door of our heart and knocks. Prayer is about welcoming the word, accepting the word. That word has creative power. It's so powerful. When we say yes to Jesus, when we open up the doors of our heart to Jesus, this is the same word that created the heavens and the earth. And when we say yes to this word, that word enters into us and recreates us. She says that it enlarges the capacity of our heart. Enlarges the capacity of our heart for what? It enlarges the capacity of our heart to love to receive love and to give love. Those who enter into the depths of prayer, who say yes to this creative word, this word that accomplishes everything the Father's will, their hearts expand. That expansion can sometimes be a very painful thing because just like growing, there's such thing as physical growing pains. There are also spiritual growing pains. But the fruits are so beautiful. The intimacy with God produces such wonderful things, not only in my own life, but in the lives of all those God has given me to love. His fruitfulness kind of spills over and transforms life all around us. And um, and that's one of the virtues that Elizabeth is talking about in this thing. What allows God to expand our hearts in this way is this generous hospitality of welcoming the word who comes to us, the word who is Jesus. I think we went so many different places in that last reflection, but this is so important, so characteristic. If somebody's asked me, well, okay, it's a gift. Prayer is a gift. How do you know you've gotten the gift of prayer? The answer is, is your life changing? Is your heart Mm -hmm. getting bigger? Are you loving those that God has given you to love? Has your devotion to the Lord grown deeper and more intense? Is your life on fire for him? If you start saying yes to things like that, then God has given you a very beautiful and a very wonderful gift of prayer. Mm. Well said. Thank you so much, Anthony. Thank you. God bless you, Chris. You've been listening to Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis. To hear and or to download this episode, along with hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit DiscerningHearts.com. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will 
First, pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about DiscerningHearts.com and join us next time for Beginning to Pray with Dr. Anthony Lillis.